0: we got some-
1: Says of her. Meat and veg, I had to have some. Should it miss some?
0: I just got some I just...
2: Welcome to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard and that was the Steam Packet featuring Rod Stewart and Brian Auger with I Just Got Some. That's because I've got the huge pleasure to welcome Brian Auger here today to talk about his career and some wonderful box sets that are out. So let's hear my chat with Brian. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, welcome virtually to Yorkshire. Oh, lovely.
3: When I was uh, 5 years old, we were bombed out in London and uh, the house was destroyed and uh I ended up going to a family in Bradford ah. for 2 years. So, I know the York- you know Yorkshire very well actually. They did a great thing for me. They uh they taught me to read. Yeah, which has been fantastic right through my my younger years and i still read all the time so
2: there you go brilliant one of the reasons i really wanted to talk to you brian is that there's a, a range of uh, reissues and uh, repackaging of material that you've been doing through uh, soul bank music
3: right exactly
2: including the new brian auger and the, the trinity box at the, the far horizon set uh, right it's just a, a really busy period with those packages and, and looking at the the new trinity box set It just looks to be a great attention to detail in relation to the reissue of that. There's extensive sleeve notes. So it isn't just a sort of basic packaging of the content. There's a a real thought and deeper involvement in terms of that stuff getting out.
3: Right. Uh, And I've known uh, Greg Boroman for many years, maybe 25 years. And uh, he is a crazy dude. (laughs) He hides it well. (laughs) And uh, now we get on like a house on fire. We have done. And he was also an organ player. Huh. And he's done the, the most uh, amazing job actually on my my material. And um uh there will be other box sets coming, you know, from the yeah. but this one as a start, I think is really just uh amazing, man. They uh issued it on vinyl.
0: Yeah
3: uh the vinyl is immaculate. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I am totally over the moon about uh, how they've uh, how they've done this, put it together. And so I'm very happy to talk to anybody about it. And, uh, you know, when I heard that they, uh, you know, they lined this up, I was very happy.
2: That's great to hear, because perhaps uh, around the start of this year, there was the uh, Augur Incorporated compilation which was a, a real great summation with some i, th- I think there's some unreleased material on there as well which gave it a broad overview of, of things and it went back to the, the steam packet days and right looking at the new box set in, including that one of the overarching themes is that there's so many different styles that you bring in you've spanned the tradition of <laughs> jazz pop and, and rock and everything in between well
3: yes you're correct man i uh Early on, the, the way that happened was that when I first, uh, in the first three months that I had a hammered organ, I was playing in a club in Manchester.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: and um, it was called, the I think it was called the Twisted Wheel in yes. Manchester. Yeah, and a lot of people passed through there that we would know. And um, in the break, at this particular time, this guy appeared. He was about six foot five tall. And uh, he was a household name at the time. It was Long John Baldry.
0: Yeah.
3: And uh, he asked me if I would uh, be interested in talking to his managers. Uh, this was Saturday night. I spoke to them on the Monday. And um, what they wanted, they said, look, uh, John's uh, John's band, the Hoochie Coochie Men. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Were totally out of control. John couldn't control them, neither could the office, mm. and they wanted somebody who would uh, be a, a band leader. I said, "Well, I, don't, you know, if I if I'm going to do this, I, I want to make sure that I can pick the people who are going to be in the band." And then they agreed, and we had this meeting with John and his, uh, you know, his manager and, and agent, uh, my manager, and. Uh, and that was it actually uh and uh, we started to i started to talk about this and said well you know uh what do you want to do exactly nobody knew so mm. they said well we, that's what we know we've we got to have somebody who can pick everyone up and also make john learn new tunes and turn up on time you know to uh rehearsals and whatever and john was a Probably about the the nicest guy I'd ever met, actually in the music business. Yeah, a great guy. And so um, you know, I said, okay, I you know I got a rhythm section. I think will be perfect. So they said, well, it, yeah, that's what we want. And I said, fine, okay. Well, John said, well, I want this guy called Rod Stewart in the band, mm. <laughs> and Rod, who I'd met a couple of times because he sat in with my little organ trio. Mm wasn't there either so i said well wait a minute what kind of a band are you talking about mm-hmm. you know is this a this a, like a salmon day of review <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they said well no uh in fact i don't know and neither did they. B- Baldry. didn't know either well i don't know i just know uh so i saw i i said look i've just cut a couple of singles with this little lady who sings just a, sings up a storm, actually. But she's working in uh, our uh, agency, answering Yardbird's fan mail and waiting to get out on the road with a band. Uh, who is it? So Her name's Julie Driscoll. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rod's um, first uh, comment on hearing that we were going to have a female in the band says, oh, why don't you get a saxophone player? I mean, we, we won't be able to swear if... Uh, <laughs> So I said, well, you know, and they said, well, how would it work? So I said, well, I, I, the way I would see that is I'd go on and play maybe a Jimmy McGriff or Jimmy Smith, Rabble Rouser or one of my own tunes, you know, get everything kind of like percolating. Then Julie would come on and do her Nina Simone things and Aretha Franklin and she loved all the, you know, the Tamla people. Mm. Then Rod would come on. He would do, like, I think he does, you know, all sorts of stuff. It's like a a mix of pop and different blues singers. And when Julie comes on, I can sing back up for Julie. When Julie's on and Rod comes in, we can both sing back up for Rod. And then we bring in the big star, (laughs) Long John, and he was capable of, I mean, he he was definitely the best uh, blues singer at that time. That we produced, and uh, you know, he did that, and also he could do a pop single. I think he had one going at the time. So I said, and we'd all finish up by he could do some he he could do a gospel tune, and we could close everything out like that with all of us backing up and everybody on stage. How about that? And they thought yeah, about it for a, a minute, and they said, Well, there's nothing like that out there. And I said, oh, I don't think there is. And they said, well, why don't we give it a shot then, you know? And John was happy about it as well. Mm. So that's how the steam packet entered the road. <laughs> and it was it just went off like a rocket right away. And uh, I thought, well, there we go. But I'd, I had come from the jazz scene, and I had to realize that all these different feels to all these different people that were singing, all the stuff, all the, you know, mm. I'd got to figure that out have a, a proper backing uh support them on stage and uh that that made me play across a, a wide spectrum of music of the time and so uh in the end after about two years I'd sorted out that I wanted to make a jazz bridge between the jazz scene the straight ahead jazz scene and the the uh, burgeoning kind of r&b stuff and uh, the other thing was, if if you if you played as a musician with great gusto, yeah, you know, we would call you, say, "What's he play like?" You know, oh, he's a steamer.
0: <laughs> so
3: the steam part was there, and then I saw this picture of a of a a, a riverboat coming down the Mississippi, and they called it, yeah, you know, I called it a steam packet, and I thought, well, that's perfect, you know, for us, and so it was. You Know, I thought talk, we talked to everybody about it, and there it was. You know, the steam packet entered the scene. So, maybe give you a rough idea of <laughs> what I was faced with. And, um, you know, it was really good for me because it made me kind of like aware of different fields, different mm, people in the uh, R&B scene and blues scene, and whatever.
2: So, there we are. There we are, Jace. It's a a great summation. And from that Augur Incorporated set, you've got, you know, some of those Steam Packet highlights, like I just got some, and you can hear the young Rod Stewart, I think, on that. Yeah. So you recorded, but did you have many releases in the 60s?
3: No, because as far as the Steam Packet was concerned, I had a manager. (laughs) John had a manager. Right. Rod had a manager who generally turned up only with his hand out. (laughs) <laughs> and uh we were trying to deal with these people and they argued for nearly two years about mm. whose label mm. anything that was recorded would come out on which was which is completely absurd because i mean john was with london records i think and it, it was really basically his band mm. and so um you know well, i ran it for him so there what whatever is issued uh, apart from Just Got Some, which I used to sing right. and play, and Rod liked it and decided to record it, so I actually produced a single with the, <laughs> with Rod singing, you know. Mm. Uh, and that's the way things went, you know, and in the end, that and John imbibed uh, a huge amount of wine and stuff, you know, and <laughs> uh, different things. And so um, the whole thing just kind of fell apart. I was ready at that time. I'd picked out the things that I liked, the feels that I liked, yeah. and what I wanted to do to make this crossover bridge between the straight-ahead jazz uh, and, uh, and the uh, the R and B scene. That's the way it went. I started, and as um, Julie and I had a single, you know, this wheel was on fire. Yeah, that one. I I found out that the big record companies, which was this was Polydor, yeah. if you had a hit, they wanted you to repeat it, you know, or we'll do something like that, or, or, you know, just kind of, and uh, to my mind, if I was going to develop this music, you know, I couldn't stand still mm. and just waste time doing that. It didn't go anywhere uh, artistically, uh, and so I decided I wanted a, start my new band, which is, uh, you know, the Oblivion Express.
0: Yeah.
3: The reason that it was uh, it, it's because I thought, well, now I'm talking to the record company and they're getting really kind of uppity about this. From what I gathered from speaking to the higher-ups in Polydor, you know, uh, I thought, well, this may be, this may be, a, you know, if I'm going to push ahead with what I've got in my mind, you know, I don't know whether they're gonna accept this. And it may be that my, you know, I'm I'm kind of wading upstream and this might go the quickest way to oblivion. <laughs> and, so, yeah. and so I I called the band the Oblivion
0: Express.
2: The churn and the change in a 10-year yeah. period from your trio in yeah, say 62 to 72, is it's kind of a, a constant evolution and, and searching for new sounds and yes absolutely and uh
3: the organ you know i mean i was a piano, a jazz piano player on the jazz poles and stuff you know i found there was a lot of music because i used to be a jazz snob mm. and <laughs> <laughs> and uh there were two clubs ronnie scott's that i played yeah. all the time and then i would walk across I'd, I'd have a gig in the flamingo the same night and i only had to do a little walk of about two minutes over to the Flamingo and either take my trio in there or, you know, mm. sit in with somebody who would ask me to play. So the guy that ran the uh, the Flamingo was a guy called Rick Gunnell and his brother, yeah. Johnny. And, uh, you know, I got on very well with those guys and uh, Rick would stand outside the Flamingo. Uh, in his shirt sleeves and uh, look like a middleweight boxer, Mm. you know, (laughs) and would be calling to the, you know, calling to the, uh, the, the customers outside who block the road sometimes, you know, Flamingo all nighter, (laughs) jazz and dancing till five 30 in the morning. You know, we guarantee to wake you. (laughs) And, uh, The Flamingo, I'd go in and it would be raging. Mm. There would be people from the islands. There would be the white community that fell in love with Tamba Motown music and stuff like that. And also there'd be uh, a lot of American GIs, either from the army bases, which Mm. we used to play on anyway, Uh, and also uh, Air Force bases around London and further out. And they would all (laughs) congregate on saturday night and so it was an amazing audience they were raving dancing and having a wonderful time you know and then i'd go back to ronnie's and it was like Shh. <laughs> you know? we, we called it we did call it the temple of doom <laughs> you know you were supposed to be very intellectual and uh ronnie was Ronnie was fantastic you know but it acquired this thing it was like a, a people were like to like to kind of go there and didn't understand what was going on, so they thought it must be good. If we don't understand it, it must be good.
2: <laughs> that cross-fertilisation of different sounds and musicians and people. One of the great examples is, was your harpsichord on the Yardbirds For Your Love. Oh, well, From hearing about that, it just seems <laughs> like there wasn't that much planning, and I'm not even sure the harpsichord was planned in a way. It wasn't.
3: Accepted. they might have planned it. Mm. Well, this is this is how that happened. I got a call from Paul, and we were in the same agency. So he says, "Hey, Brian, is that Samuel Smith?" Yeah, yeah. And um, so he says, "Brian, what are you uh, what are you doing this afternoon?" I said, "Well, I I, I was drinking some tea and uh, playing some sounds." And he said, "Do you want to? Could you come up and play on our single?" And I said, "Well, yeah, I suppose so. Where are you?" He said, well, we're in this little uh, studio. It's opposite uh, Broadcasting House in Upper Bridget Street. He says, you can't miss it. It's just across the road from. So um, I said, well, okay. you know, I could be up there in about an hour. Got on the tube, went up there, uh, went into this tiny studio, and there was all the R-birds like swatting around inside, and Paul came up and said, great, great, Brian, I want, I want to play this tune to you. And what I want is I want, a, you know, an intro, and then I want you to do your magic and and mm. really get it going rhythmically. So I said, fine, okay. And I looked around and said, well, wait a minute. <laughs> hey, dude, <laughs> where's the organ then? says, oh, no, they haven't got an organ, no. And I said, yeah, you must be joking, you know. And as we, we played practical jokes on one another, You know, I had another look around it. I said, well, there's no piano here either. And he said, (laughs) right, there's no piano. I haven't got a piano. I said, well, what kind of a studio is this? He says, I I don't know. It was cheap. You know, I I think what it was was maybe a a vocal recording studio, you know. So uh, he says, uh, no, we've only got this. (laughs) And he points in this corner to this shape underneath the sort of carpaulin, car- you know. So I whipped it off and there <laughs> stood a double a double tier harpsichord. <laughs> I said, all oh, right, you've got me. I said, no, 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 I mean that's all that's all we've got. So I said, well, my God, I've never played one of these. So you know, let me I said, you know, it's different to piano or organ because it's it's a plucked instrument and the feel is weird because it can make you drag against the um the groove you know i said you you better give me like better give me about 10 minutes to play it for a bit so i get used to that so i was messing about there uh, and i said right okay paul what i'm going to do they played me the tune and i said right i'll uh, i'm going to play these arpeggios as an intro, wang, 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 wang. And then I'm going to, you know, it kind of went on from there. Uh, I said, you know, I'll, uh, and then I'll, I'll juice it all up under the groove. That's really how it all happened. (laughs) And um, I walked out and I was, I walked down towards the tube again to go home and uh, Mm -hmm. thinking to myself, these guys are nuts man i'm telling you who's gonna buy a pop single harpsichord on it <laughs> and boy was i wrong <laughs>
2: an amazing photo from a year or two later and and you're in a line with uh, Paul McCartney and Chris Barber I think recording Cat Call which is a Chris Barber single. That's right. So you were on organ on that?
3: Yes I was yeah and the thing is I used to play on this little basement club called the, I think it was the Pink Elephant or something like that in German Street and uh, on several occasions Ringo and Paul had turned up uh, and I knew I knew Paul's brother, who was a comedian, Mike, completely balmy.
0: Yeah,
3: <laughs> well, not so balmy actually. <laughs> and yeah. Every time I went up to Liverpool to play at the university, you know, we'd give him a call, and they would they would say, "Come round afterwards," you know. And when I'd go round to their house, and we would play sounds, and he did he'd, he'd, he'd uh, you know emulate people playing the piano, and it was just madness. So that was very cool, and uh, then then we got a call. I knew Chris Barber as well, actually. Uh, Yeah. We got a call, and uh, he was doing this thing called Cat Calls with McCartney, and uh, I think there's a photograph of me sitting at the organ, Yeah, you know, and McCartney kind of going, right, (laughs) right, (laughs) right. Funny. I I mean, to try and think of what that meant later on was – It was just guys having a good, really great time.
2: you mentioned this wheels on fire earlier, but it just seems amazing how that single just took off like a rocket. And now looking back is one of the era defining songs of the sixties.
3: Well, I I don't know about that, but uh, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) there was a tape by Bob Dylan called the basement tapes that was sent to London and went around the, uh, you know, the agents and managers and whatever. Uh, I think Manfred Mann got it first of all, and did a, a mighty Quinn yeah. from that. But then, by, by the time we'd got it, there was a, there was only two tunes left. Then we uh, we were called up to the uh, manager's office, and uh, he played this thing to me and Julie. And Julie said, "Well, I don't I don't want to do like Tears of Rage, but the other tune is like you know." He says, "Well, you know, I mean, what do you think, Orch? I said, "Well." I can't see this as a single, uh, but I kind of like it, and uh it's got that weird psychedelic feel to the lyrics, and so we could make something of that. So I said, well, I'll have a go at it. So I took it home and I tried to put a rock beat to what was just Bob Dylan playing guitar, strumming a few chords and singing the you know the weird lyrics a walking bass player, you know, upright bass. And no matter what I did rhythmically, it didn't work. And so after a while, I thought, well, I don't know. I mean, being a jazzer, a walking bass meant something to me. (laughs) I said, right, I'm going to leave that, and I'm going to treat this thing like a sort of a semi-march, you know. And so... I started to put it together like now, and oh wow, this works actually. This is rain. so. Uh, I eventually went up went to the studio thinking this is going to make a fantastic track. But I still, you know, I thought single no, but but as an uh, as an album track, I think we might make something of it. Because the the lyrics were very strange. It was the psychedelic period, you know. I took the thing home and I got a a rhythmic thing just rolling along uh on piano first of all and then uh added the organ and uh and then uh put some strings on in various places and julie came in and sang this like <laughs> it's amazing vocal very creepy because it was you know and i went oh very mysterious i said great organ track still and when they released it and it actually went out as a single, I must admit I couldn't believe it. and you know I uh, but there it is, looking back. That's how accidentally uh, a lot of this stuff happened, you know, mm. there you go.
2: Recorded a solo album, definitely what, and there's a great version of A Day in the Life in there, but that goes deeper a bit into jazz. Yes, it does. In a way, was that your take on around that success in just pairing things back and having a bit of control over music a bit more? Well, I
3: think that what happened was we had this hit, and uh, I'd never made a big band album or the orchestra or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and I had some tunes that I thought. That would be good to kind of just for my first jump into the deep end. <laughs> I'd um, tell Polidor, look, I'm going to need a, some strings. I'm going to real strings. I'm going to need a brass section and whatever you know. <laughs> so that was it. But <laughs> up <laughs> with this whole thing, and also I did some other tunes. Uh, And it was basically the, the record company said, well, yeah, why don't you have a go at a solo album? So that was it at the time.
2: Some of the most remarkable footage from the 60s that I've seen is the Trinity on the Monkeys TV <laughs> TV special. You're, you're playing Come On Up and you've got the sort of Star Trek thing, then there's the, the whole piano it, thing when right. you, it's unbelie-
3: unbelievable. unbelievable yep. when it's captured. Well, we were introduced to Jack Good, and Jack Good was in England and had launched all the big rock stars. I had a show every Saturday night. And he was a funny guy, man, because he was a, an Englishman with the RAF blazer and uh, <laughs> stuff like that. And uh, as I'd been to a grammar school and I quoted a couple of bits of Latin to him and we had a good laugh between each other. And uh, he said, well, come on, play something, you know, and uh, we set up in this rehearsal room and we played a we played a tune. And he shouted, you
0: know, that was
3: absolutely effing fantastic. And Julie then <laughs> fell on the floor with laughter. It was like, what? Who is this guy? Is a nutcase? So then we get booked to do this monkeys thing, you know, and I said, the monkeys, wow. They weren't, you know, really heralded at that time oh. as being great musicians or anything. So you know, we were told, well, you know, you could go over and and, and see what's going on and, uh, you know, uh, and uh, do a show with them. It's not going to hurt you, you know. So I went over and uh, Jack Good, I got on with like a house on fire. But like the piano thing, <laughs> mm. piano is really stacked one on top of the other and then yes. it's the little thing on top. And um the whole idea of the show was the evolution of the of the species, you know. <laughs> so I played about three different roles, you know, in this. But I was the mad priest. He said, You're the mad professor, and and they tricked out my, uh, my the organ with like psychedelic wallpaper and gear, uh, and they they had a little thing, almost like Star Trek with those tubes. Yeah, and I, I was reading the script, and it said, you know. We grab four guys in, you know, as they pass in, you know, out of the, just out of the public. Anyone will do, and we put them in these. <laughs> mm. We put them through the tubes, and they become rock stars. And I said, they're never going to wear that. That's embarrassing. <laughs> and uh, and Jack said, well, I've I've talked to them, and they and they love the idea. They want you for the Mad Professor, mm. so. Uh, I mean, whoa, this, is, this gets more and more kind of out there, you know. And um, one morning, about two or three days later, we were in MGM Studios, which is where we cut the whole thing. Next door was a closed studio with Elvis. Wow. When Elvis did that thing, you know, when he was in the boxing ring, mm. those, you know, they shot all that. and we, You couldn't go anywhere near that. <laughs> <laughs> But opposite that was us I came in and there were all these pianos piled on top of one another <laughs> and and this little you know uh, Wurlitzer on top and I said, wait a minute, what's going on you know what's happening Jack and he said, well we've got uh, we've got all these names like little Richard and uh you know all stacked one on top of the other. I said and you're going to be up there. I said, you've got to be kidding. So I said, no, no, we'll put a ladder up in the well of the piano so you could get up there. And I got up there and it was decidedly strange. Anyway, we start I I had this weird thing to say, you know, we start with the rhythm and you know, and I I'd give it this whole thing. And everyone starts playing, and this thing is going <laughs> wobbling to and fro. And I thought, well. God, if 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 this lot comes down, there's going to be a big hole in the in the rock scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was it. I mean, you know, no preparation or anything. It was, <laughs> again. But as I said, you know, Jack was a funny guy to be completely in love with rock, rock and roll, and uh, and the monkeys were, you know, the first thing that happened when we sat down to have a cup of coffee and stuff. They said, "Look, Brian." Uh, I said, I was amazed that you wanted to do this, you know. And they said, well, the thing is, people don't know. We all answered this ad in the LA Times. For actors, there was no talk. of, You know, the only person that played was Mike Nesmith. Yeah. And, you know, we were actors. So we went to this meeting and they said, right, you know, to Davey, well, you're little so you better be in front of a band because the rest of the band will be able to see over you. <laughs> you know, they said they asked me if I played anything. I said tambourine. Good, okay, that's it. That's you. Mickey Dolan said, well, um, I I don't know what what's going on here. And they said, look, um, you better play drums, I think. He says, well, I've never played drums in my life. And it was funny how he'd set the kid up. <laughs> but he was such a nice guy man all of them were and Mike Nesbitt the musician in the middle of it all and so he said you know we had no idea what they were trying to do but what they were trying to do was put uh, uh you know a gang of kids together that would rival the Beatles in uh, you know basically that was the whole idea except they were they had a series going instead of a couple of a couple of geeks i mean it was that they had these dancers when i saw the dancers and heard the music man i mean, it was right like, it wasn't standard by any means there were some like 94s and 58s and mm. stuff going on and they hey absolutely like burned it so the thing moved on and I got hauled into Jack's head one morning, you're the compere for the rock show. I said, what a rock show? He <laughs> said, now they've you've turned them with your psychedelic organ. Now they're all rock stars. So they dressed me up <laughs> to be the compere for them, the, to introduce the the rock deal. Well, I'm, all I can say is I, we had a funny time. It was hilarious. And uh, the monkeys were great, but they didn't, you know, you said, don't expect any kind of brilliant music or anything. And we cut some titles, you know, uh, because they had other bands on. Mm. And that was 33 and a third revolutions per monkey. (laughs) (laughs) Be prepared for anything. (laughs) Evolution can do no more. This is where science takes over. Four monkeys for selective service. Over to you, sir, right? Right. Certainly, but you think you can make a man out of that one? Well, I'll
1: see what I can do, darling
2: that period, you've got the Trinity Album Street Noise, a double album, a few more interpretations of other artists' original material, notably Indian Rope Man, which in a way is one of the Trinity's signature tunes. And as well as that fantastic original material, including what you penned, you had an ability to redefine a song as well. Well, the thing, Chase, was
3: that um, we suddenly got this phone call saying, you better get in the studio tomorrow. We booked it in ad Advi- I think it was advision. Yeah. Uh, um, but anyway, and I said, Why? Well, what's going on? And our manager said, Well, in two weeks' time, you're leaving for the for America. And uh they're booking the um they're booking the tour. <laughs> we were like, What? And he said, and we need a, we need an album. So you better get busy. And by the time we got in the studio, I was like, wow but two weeks again album together
0: mm.
3: so i i i wrote tropic of capricorn we'd we'd actually played in uh, czechoslovakia yeah you know before the rome the uh the russians decided to come back and spoil everything yeah and um it, it went on like that but then there were you know we we kind of ran out of material and so we we had a cough lab and i said what we should do is all these new people that we know that the public doesn't know? Maybe we should just play some of their, their tunes, like Save the Country, Laura Nero. Yeah. Nobody had heard of Laura Laura Nero, but you know, this is this is uh, Julie calling me, Ouch! you better get over it, you know, and hear this and hear this record from this lady called Laura said, <laughs> What <laughs> who? I never heard of Said, oh, you've got to hear this, you know. And she played me Eli and the 13th Confession, the whole album. And I was mesmerized. Mm. The arrangements were amazing. The tunes were amazing. So there it is. We decided, all right, well, let's do Save the Country. Uh, and Laura was turned up at our press conference, actually, a little later, you know after we'd finished all this. But we managed to pull in names from, you know, different people that a lot of people didn't know, but played fantastic music. So um, that was how it assembled. And all of a sudden, we had a double album. (laughs) Incredible, man. So that was uh, (laughs) the Trinity. And uh, when we went to the States, uh, there was a lot of press saying, this is where it all begins. I don't know what they all meant, but <laughs> later on, a lot of people said, that's where it started for me. I mean, I realized that we, you could mix and match and uh, whatever you call it. And it's it's funny how it stood the test of time. People still want uh, copies of that album,
1: See the right road, streets are
3: And when we were talking about, like, Czechoslovakia, for example, yeah. we went to Czechoslovakia and, and the young kids went nuts because they would had about six months of free freedom of the press. What that meant was, you know, there were big patches in the newspapers with nothing in them. <laughs> whatever, the, whatever the guy had said got pulled. But stories like we were wandering around in Prague, we met this taxi driver i said hey can you take us around but i don't want to see the normal tourist kind of deals because there's some beautiful stuff in croft and he said look uh where are you from i said well we're all from england we're like you know we're musicians he said oh he said well i'll tell you what when the germans came in i was teaching at the university here and um They threw me out because they didn't like what I was saying. And then the Russians came in and they gave me a job at the university. And then they didn't like me either. And they threw me out. So I became a taxi driver. And after all these years, this is the first time that I'm going to go back to teach. So I'm going to take you around all the unknown little corners and everything. There's no charge. You know, it's on me. And this guy drove us about and showed us amazing stuff. And when the Russians came back in, he was the first guy I thought. I went, oh, oh my God, we're so lucky, you know, that we're we're in the West. And I continued to. Uh, uh, I got I got a got hold of a a reporter, a young guy, and I said, Do you speak English? He said, Yes, you know, and possibly well. And uh, so I said, Look, I. I at least when I when we go on tonight, I want to say good evening. How are you? Yeah. But in in Czech, and he says, "Oh, okay." He says, "Well, what you what you need to say is dopří <laughs> věčně." You know, and you have to do a little kind of like bow at the same time. Mm. So I practiced this, and when I went on, I said, <laughs> you know, "People stood up when they went when before we'd even got there," and I said. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, the party, which, you know, I'd pay all, like, cheered. Yeah! <laughs> After we'd finished, the they pelted the stage with flowers, probably about, you know, a foot deep. Um, it was really something.
2: <laughs> and Julie captured her perspective on, on the visit and everything yeah. in the song Yeah, on that LP, didn't she?
3: Right, Absolutely and that was, is the background that we saw when we left yeah when i when i realized that the russians had come back and taken over again you know the first guy i thought of was that taxi driver yeah um i thought oh, man, we are really lucky people to have been born in the west what can i say
1: many people
2: Bolivian Express. It's impossible to sort of pick out favorite tracks. Uh, w- one of the the best known is "Happiness." Is just around the bend. Yeah, that was a crossover in that there was a, a cover version that was very high in the the R and yep. B charts and remains a, an influential track.
3: Well, RCA man, we were with R- RCA. I think in America. When when I got over there, I, I was invited to come and have dinner with with the president. And all the guys from the from the office, you know.
0: <laughs>
3: and uh, he said, well, and he turned out to be Italian. Well, I was married to, him, to an Italian. Best thing I ever did. It's lady. lady. Yeah. We were together for like 51 years. Yeah. And so I thought, hey, it's my turn today. Because everybody poo-pooed, you know, what the hell is this? And so I said, well, I, I think I'm going to open my big mouth and uh, and let fly. <laughs> and they and uh, the guy said, Brian, what kind of music is this, you know? And the uh, guys shuffled their papers and everything, you know, and uh, it was like, I said, well, it's, it's kind of a mixture, you know. And, and what had happened is the record had broken from Cleveland and it had gone on the Billboard charts, but it had gone on the rock, R&B and jazz charts simultaneously. Yeah. <laughs> and the Prez Said, "What the hell? What the hell is this?" And I tried to explain it to him, and uh, he says, "Well, I mean, I, you know," he said, oh, "I don't know what to say." And I said, "Well, Rocco, his name is Rocco." Hmm. I said, "Rocco, when I came here, I saw two skyscrap- skyscrapers outside. They're, they're both RCA skyscrapers." I said, oh, "That's only two percent." of the overall corporation because they were making missiles and, you know, and recording machines and God knows what. And so he, he laughed and uh, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the people sitting at the table kind of (laughs) blenched. He's he's dared to say that to them. (laughs) And and, uh, Rocco laughed and he said, you know what, Brian says, I like his style. He says, but you, uh, you musicians, you're not supposed to know, anything about that kind of thing mm. <laughs> so we just had a laugh on it i said well whatever you can do for us you know would we'll be very much appreciated and uh, that's the way it went because rca basically was a uh they had john denver yeah <laughs> they had elvis mm. yeah guys like that it was a country label really and so no wonder they uh they didn't know what we were doing as I passed out of there and I walked down the corridor, some guys from the main ingredient came to meet me. I said, hey, Brian, what are, you, what are you doing with that tune called Happiness is Just Around the Bend? I said, well, I asked if they, I wanted, I told them, you know, in this meeting that I thought that that should be our single and they wouldn't do it. <laughs> and the guys said, well, we'll do it. <laughs> so I said, yeah, go ahead, man. I think there was only about, two or three acts black acts you know at the time on on the label and and they did do it man
2: My favourite tracks of yours is uh, from the early eighties, "Planet Earth Calling." Oh yeah, great Hammond on that.
3: Yeah, I. This is an early kind of like when you started to uh, read about what was coming. Uh, it's here now. Yeah, here's "Planet Earth Calling." Some of the other titles will give you an idea of like you know I'm warning everybody. Years and years later, nobody took any notice of so it. Like, oh, all right, it's here now. I like the drum fill at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> I just told everybody, play your ass off. What what do you want me to do, Brian? I just want you to play your ass off. And there is uh we'd been to the moon by that time. There was a sea of tranquility that I wrote and one of the best guitar solos by Ho Young Kim. When I heard him play that, I went, Oh man, that that is definitely I don't care what happens with this album. If they don't do anything. There it is, you know. Oh.
2: And I wanted to close by asking about something from the last decade, something across your career, and that was a uh, language of the heart. Yeah. Also, a, a family affair in terms of working with uh, members of, of your family as well.
3: Right. Track that you uh, that you like was this flying Freeze. Oh it? yeah, yeah. I mean, I always, I always felt that. Um... When, when the band was grooving and everybody was listening to one another and it really, we had one of those special me- uh, evenings and there were plenty of them. For me, I'd jump in and start soloing and it would be like flying, flying free. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just love that feeling. I never got that from anything else except music. You know, music's an, uh, just a, an amazing vehicle to... Uh, to have been born at three years old and to to have this idea, you know, of uh, of music and be surrounded by music, what a great start! I mean, I think if everybody's, for all the kids were taught something, I mean, we might have a different, you know, world uh, mm. here. Because even um, Malcolm X, you know, if you read his, uh, bi- you know, his bi- biography. Says that when he was in the, the ballrooms so early on in the '30s, he said there was no color bar yeah. between us and white musicians or among musicians at all, for some reason. Uh, whereas outside, once you stepped outside, you better mind your p's and q's, mate. You know that that always. And my also also, uh, my dad was in the St. John's Ambulance Brigade, yeah, and he used to go out when the raids were on. Uh, and I was only a little nipper at the time, and I asked my mom, "Where's Dad going?" You know, he, said, <laughs> he never told me. But he was out in the streets, and uh, driving ambulances as well. You know, and when they, when uh, the soldiers, this is this is amazing actually, because of the Queen situation as well. Right, mm. right now, the Empire had all these different soldiers. You know, they were black Africans and yeah. brown uh, and Indians and God knows what, you know. And because uh, when they were demobbed, they all, got, you know, a lot of these medical guys got together and with my dad and my dad would bring them home, yeah. you know, and we'd share whatever we got you know, and they'd sit at the table. So for me, these were great guys, man. I mean, they, they were uh, having a start like that. It was wonderful. And what kept them together, because they'd help people. They weren't soldiers, you know, in the worst kind of mm. ways or, or, or anything. They hadn't fought with guns. They had been medical guys, mm. and there was this bond between them. Uh, and it was normal for me to sit there and ask them whatever, you know. Hey, you know, do you like my mum's cooking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Different world, or two different worlds. I'm so upset to see half of the politicians here yeah. have stepped back 50 years. Why? Because there's money in it. There's money in it that keep that, that you can spend to get elected. What a shame. America, if it doesn't pull itself out of this nosedive, is gonna lose its uh, lose its place in the world. I think yeah. it doesn't deserve that. I've been in every state i played in America, and uh, the people have always been welcoming. And uh, I, I'm I'm so sorry for the people that would be hurt by this. And, and the thing is, I mean, I've been inside the Soviet Union when the when when East Germany was still going, and there was a wall. Mm. You know, <laughs> boy, did they shake us down <laughs> when we went in? They took no more or less. Took the truck to bits, uh, and. Uh, you know, and they said you, you drive this piece of motorway <laughs> to Berlin. We were, you know, and if you don't appear after, we we'll give you two and a half hours to do the journey, and we time stamp your passport. And if you don't appear, we'll send the, the Volkspolizei out to pick you up. And uh, I was warned: don't do anything <laughs> or say anything, because. If they grab you and put you in jail, man, we've got – we don't have a, a console. They'll keep you until we've – you know, I think the, the the Swedes were the people that would intervene on your behalf, but you'd be there forever or could be. And so we were like, don't say anything <laughs> or whatever. I I look at this and I, I, I think these people are stupid here because they don't understand – what being under an autocratic rule means i think there's one one thing that i would say if i was in power i say right if you don't like this and you want to know what it's like under an autocratic rule take your passport and just walk down the road you don't need to beat people kill people and carry on all this all this nonsense here just go down to the soviet embassy well, oh, it's not Soviet anymore. The Russian embassy and take your passport and swap it for a Russian one because they'd love to have you. But I can tell you this: in about a month, when you discover what it's really like, that you can't get you can't get out again. <laughs>
4: The milk of human kindness is all it needs to live And it's quiet power all it wants to give Cause there's something of the world in all of us The longing to be free Something of the rain in all of us That's flowing through your heart Something in the wind that's calling us To fly just like a bird Flying free Cause there's something of the wild in all of us Belonging to be free Something of the rain in all of us That's flowing free Calling us to fly just like a bird, flying free.
2: I guess that's one of the great things about music is, and and your music that breaks down barriers, Um, right? Even with the Oblivion Express, you've done some Marvin Gaye, like Inner City Blues, which is which has got that sort of compassionate, absolutely, yeah. And that's one of the great themes of your career is breaking down barriers and and music being a force for good.
3: Well, I think music is what can I say? It's the language of planet Earth. I don't know whether. Guys are raving in other on other planets or whatever, but here to me, like it's it's a it's a language, and also when you get far far enough along as a musician and you've had special evenings when where the music is just flying. I mean, I've had these these evenings where suddenly I'm looking at my fingers playing and asking myself, who's doing this? <laughs> how could it be difficult to explain you know but anyway I don't, I just I I think of it like that I don't and and it's funny because you know like songs are the same thing I mean it all comes from the same place when you're quiet and we don't and we don't often get quiet enough it's like a music going on all the time <laughs> I I I just think well This is a tremendous gift to come onto the planet with, you know, and to work it out myself and, uh, you know, and get this far, actually, far enough to realize that it's no good having ego and thinking that you're doing all this. You're not. You know, it's it's coming from somewhere or other. For example, this would make you laugh because I was in a Swiss hotel at one point, one afternoon. And the window was open, it was in the summer, and there were kids playing soccer outside and um, making a you know, noise and shouting, having a great time. And all of a sudden, my foot went, bum, bum, and I went, oh, I've got to get up and write that down. And I searched. I I, I had my, uh, my Sharpie, but I couldn't find any paper in this place. So I wrote it on the wall. It won't be still there. I'm sure they painted over it all, you know, but that was it. And, uh, you know, I went, da, 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 and I said, okay, what's next? And I said, well, there are children playing in the street. Hear their voices, hear their feet. <laughs> children playing in the street, hear their voices, hear their feet. And in their faces, you will find a better day for all mankind. I got it. Amazing thank you. <laughs> and I, I was like, oh, well, there it is, it's just like a meditation and s- something comes through at some point. But every time I say, here's a tune that I wrote, well, sorry, I didn't really write it. I feel embarrassed. I it kind of wrote itself, <laughs> but how can I explain that? I can't. Well, I can, but um, people would think I was a nuts and they'd, Carted me away, the guys with the white coats, but I'm sure that those things were what you know. Even even the big composers would have got a, a theme going, mm. and they were clever enough to be able to score it out for a whole orchestra, you know, and a choir and everything. Uh, I, I I couldn't do that just off the top of my head. That's music for you, man. That's our language.
2: Thank you for. What you're doing with this reissues, which are getting the music back out there and also providing an extensive overview of your remarkable career. So thank you so much for your time, Brian.
3: Oh, man, it's my pleasure. And, you know, I wish I'd done it, but it was it was my, my mate uh, Boroman, a complete nutcase and, a, and an organ player. And we kind of talked about stuff for ages and he suddenly he's running the label and decides... Right, this is what we're gonna do and makes a plan. So I mean, I wish I said I wish I thought I'd done it, but I didn't. He has done a phenomenal job cleaning up the uh the vinyl and also cleaning up and adding to the uh to the artistic side of making the box set and everything. It's beautiful. So uh thank you, Greg Borland, man. And thank you as well, Jason. You know, nice talk, man, and maybe we maybe we'll do it again at some point.
2: It will be a pleasure and honour, Brian. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, man. All right, take care. Yep, and you too. Bye now.
4: Looking over yonder hill See the sunlight fading still Shine their
1: light
4: to light my way throughout the night. Children playing in the street, hear their voices, hear their feet. To get to where I'm going Another sundown No way at close of day i hear a voice inside me say another sundown and it's a long way to get to where i'm going another sundown and i'm a long long